Opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, this morning our show is about real-world negotiations. And whether you think you negotiate or not, you do. And everything that you do with your children, with your spouse, with your boss, with your peers, everything you do all day long, you are negotiating and you don't even think about it because you think you're just communicating, but in effect, you really are negotiating. And I've been reading this wonderful book by Joshua N. Weiss, PhD. It's called The Book of Real World Negotiations, Successful Strategies from Business, Government, and Daily Life. And of course, I'm so excited because he, I'm going to tell you a little bit about his background, but the forward is by William Urey, who I am such a, you know, a a Urey fan. Um, He's been, he was my professor at Harvard when I took this negotiation training, and he wrote the forward to this book. Let me tell you about this amazing man who is the author of this. Dr. Joshua N. Weiss is the co-founder of the Global Negotiation Initiative at Harvard University and a senior fellow at the Harvard Negotiation Project. He is also the director and creator of the Master of Science degree in Leadership and Negotiation at Baypath University. He received his Ph.D., from the Institute for Conflict Analysis and Resolution at George Mason University. Dr. Weiss has spoken and published on leadership, negotiation, mediation, and systematic approaches to dealing with conflict. I think that's how I found him on originally on one of his wonderful articles. And then he's also done a TED Talk on negotiating with technology. We're going to talk about that, and that was amazing. In his current capacity, he conducts research, consults with many different types of organizations. He delivers negotiation and mediation trainings and courses, and he engages in negotiation and mediation at the organizational, corporate, governmental, and international levels. His newest book, published by Wiley Press, is the one that I have right in front of me. It's called The Book of Real World Negotiations, as I told you, Successful Strategies from Business, Government, and Daily Life. 
He's also the co-author of a storybook trilogy for children ages 6 to 10 to teach them negotiation and conflict resolution skills. Oh my gosh, we need that so badly. And so if you want to check in on the TED Talk that Dr. Weiss delivered, it's entitled The Wired Negotiator. It's fantastic. You can't miss it. So just go to YouTube and uh, search The Wired Negotiator about the role of technology in negotiation and how to use it most effectively. So you can find out more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com where you'll see his picture, his bio. We link to his website. So go there or go to his own joshuanweiss.com. So thank you so much for joining us this morning, Josh. Thank you, Mari. It's a pleasure. Oh, gosh. You, you're you amazing. And this book is very, I love this book. So first of all, who did you write it for? Because it seemed like it's really user-friendly with great stories and everything. So who, who did you write it for? Well, I really wrote it for everybody. My hope was that not only would people who were teaching negotiation or studying negotiation want to read it, but but I was really hoping that, you know, somebody who perhaps didn't see themselves as a negotiator, and in your intro you talked about the fact that we all negotiate all the time every day, which I wholeheartedly believe. You know, I wanted people, if they're, you know, perusing a bookstore or online, to come across it and, and be able to pick it up and read it and, and be able to relate to it. And, and so it's really written... Um, for the average person who um, is really curious about negotiation or maybe doesn't know how much of a role negotiation plays in the world. And I'm, I was hopeful that by the end, people would not only um, understand that, but also have a kind of different perspective on negotiation. Because I think there are a lot of myths out there about negotiation that tend to limit people and their effectiveness. Exactly, exactly. So um, why is it you decided to write this book? I know you have written before and you've written articles. Why is it that you wanted to write this particular book? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, when I first started working at the program on negotiation at Harvard back in 1995, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but but um, I used to go to some of the faculty dinners. And what was really fascinating at that time was listening to um, the faculty talk about the negotiations they were involved in or they were consulting um, parties around, um, perhaps mediating, whatever it might be. And, and they were real-world stories, and they were fascinating. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, <clears throat> you know, we really need to get these stories out to the broader world so that people can, can grasp how important negotiation is and what an incredible tool it is to help us deal with all kinds of problems, challenges, and conflicts that come our way. So, you know, in the back of my mind, there had always been this idea that if I had the opportunity to write a book, I'd really like to write something that was focused on the real world and actual cases so that, you know, when people read through it, they would sort of say, hmm, that's not what I thought negotiation was all about. And yet, um, you know, it happened in these situations and these folks were able to come up with creative solution, so maybe I can too. And and that's what transpired with this, and it was really a pleasure to write, and I enjoyed doing it, and, and frankly, I learned a lot as well along the way. Oh, yeah. When you write a book, you really, you know, you have to kind of 
really think about it, do your own research and, and kind of get into that zone. And I, that's, you know, it's, it's fabulous to write. Because then if you go back and read it and you go, wow, I wrote that. Look at all that work I did. <laughs> so, um, you know, what is the key, in your opinion, to an effective negotiation? And what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make? Well, I think the key to effective negotiation, there are a number of things that, that you know, the folks that I've worked with over the years that I've seen do well. And I, I think one of the most important that I think a lot of people fail to do is is adequately prepare. You know, a lot of people just go in and <clears throat> they do what I would call uh, they, their approach to negotiation is to intuit their way through it, um, as I like to say. And what that really means is that, that they're not preparing a whole lot. And yet, just like when you go to take a, an exam in school, if you're not prepared, you're not going to do well. And if you are prepared, then you sit down and you have a lot of confidence. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to negotiation. Um, but I, I will say within that, that I don't advocate people having a plan when they walk into the negotiating room. And the reason I say that is because, you know, the other person is not reading your playbook or following your script. And so they're going to often do things that you didn't expect. You were on a, you know, you, there was information that you were not privy to. So you were unaware. And, and so if you start to implement your plan and it, begins to fall apart, that's when I think people get anxious and flustered and perhaps give away more than they should. Exactly. So rather, yeah. what I would really advocate and what I do in my own negotiations, it's really more contingency planning. So if you think sort of like playing chess, you know, when you go to sit down and play chess, you think of a couple of different avenues that you could go down to try to achieve the same objective. And that's what I try to do in my own negotiations is I try to think through what are the different, you know, what's my goal and what are the different ways that I can get there? And I think that approach is more flexible and fluid and helps you to not get flustered when, when things don't go the way you imagine. So I think that's one really important key. And I think the other really important key is, um, and there's many more, but um, <clears throat> I could take the entire show talking about those. But, <laughs> right. But, but I also think another one that doesn't get nearly enough um, sort of conversation in the, in the broader world is that your mindset when you walk into a negotiation is really critical. Mm. And, if, you know, if you go in and, and you're expecting everything to look like a, a nail, you're going to use a hammer and it's going to be a win-lose kind of scenario. Um, but if your mindset is to understand that you and the other negotiator need each other, I need them to say yes, so... I can get where I want to go and vice versa, then your orientation changes and you see the other negotiator really as a problem-solving partner. And the issue between you is what you've got to work on. And I see when people go into negotiations with that mindset and they add in creative sort of problem-solving at the heart of what they're trying to do, more often than not, they're successful because um, if they try something that doesn't work, they're not flustered by that. And, and they also don't take it personally, and they don't see the other person as the adversary. They see them as someone that they really need to work with. And I think if you roll up your sleeves and are persistent, um, you're going to get somewhere in your negotiations. I often find people give up far too early um, and think they've gone down a certain road and they tried to negotiate and it didn't work. And, and yet my belief is that 
you have to just keep sticking with it until you find the solution that is going to work. Right. I love the story that you talk about where there was um, that negotiation where the guy went in the closet. He was, he was mad and he didn't get what he wanted. It was like my way or the highway, take it or mm-hmm. leave it. And he gets up and he runs to, out the door, but he ends up in a closet. <laughs> I was hysterical when I was reading that. So yeah. yeah, so what happened after yeah, what happened after that, which I guess that embarrassment kind of just put him in his place or what what happened after that? Yeah, well that that factor <laughs> and I think this also goes to the notion of being able to manage your emotions, which right. is also a <laughs> negotiation, but what that did was it sort of, you know, it, it completely threw the entire negotiation in it, you know, off and what had been a very tense process enabled the parties to sort of almost change the dynamic, get a chuckle out of it, and then refocus their energy on finding something more creative, which they were able to do. So, yeah, that yeah. was great. And everybody was <laughs> laughing, and he was in the closet while everybody's yeah. laughing. And oh my gosh, comes back with his tail between his legs. But, but yeah. you know, laughter is great. And if you can laugh at yourself, you know, for doing mm-hmm. something like that, you know, a little bit of self-deprecation, then it kind of brings everybody back to their humanity too. And then they can really focus on solutions. That's right. That's that was, right. that was so funny. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I say the same thing with preparation, preparation, and you know, what gives you power in negotiation? Mm-hmm. I have this acronym, which you're welcome to think about if ever using it. It's P-O-W-E-R, and P stands for preparation. That's number one. Uh-huh. And, and you know, second one is options. O is options. W is worthiness. Do you feel like working with somebody? E is your energy that you come in with, like you were talking about. And R, what is R? I forgot. <laughs> oh, is resolution coming up with, you know, your brainstorm and then you come to an agreement. But pre- preparation, I think of... Breathe life with CPR. What is the content that you want? What is the uh, the procedure you're going to use? Think about that ahead of time. And what is your relationship? How can you make that relationship more like, you know, instead of adversaries, um, mm-hmm. a partner like what you were talking about, which is so important. So, yeah. 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 That... That that story just got me. I I was laughing out loud. I thought, oh my god! I <laughs> because yeah. you know you have to have emotional intelligence to right. really be a good negotiator. Like know that you know don't let you can get angry, but don't let your anger rule you. And then you say something stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this that's a you know you talked about you know we asked a little bit about the mistakes that people make, and I think that's a big one, which is. That for many years, you know, people's perception, and I still, I still think on some level this is the case with the average person out there, is that, you know, their sense is that you're supposed to keep emotions out of negotiation, and that's really not possible. Um, you know, human beings are emotional and logical creatures, and so you've got to manage both. And you're exactly right that um, that emotional intelligence is is the art of managing your own emotions and having them, but them not having you. Right, right. And we all have those. I mean, you know, when we look at, you know, neuroscience, sure, you're Mm going to get mad if somebody offends you, but you have to, like, take that slow breath and just kind of go within for that, you know, nanosecond and don't let it get to you. Because as soon as you do, 
you get out of that thinking brain and then, you know, then you might make a mistake in your negotiations. Yeah, and you usually do. And I think you're <laughs> yeah. right. That's, right, you know, right. That's the place to to, to manage it um, and, and not have your, your you know, your amygdala hijack and other kinds right. of things prior as a result of our, you know, our instinctual brain and things like that. Right, right. So, you know, I can do that in mediation and I focus every once in a while. I, you know, I practice it at home, but every once in a while with my spouse, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have that emotional intelligence. I might say when it's, you know, when we disagree about politics or something, <laughs> otherwise I'm really good, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not alone. Yeah. Well, tell us about, I love the stories, you know, you tell stories in this book. It's great. And you tell stories in your TED Talk, and and I know Bill Uri always tells great stories as well. And tell us about the power of story and negotiation and how it's really a great tool. Well, you know, it's interesting because as a result of writing this book, I really came to think more and more about story and how, frankly, when we negotiate, you know, we tend to use stories, but we're not exactly strategic about it. And And I've been thinking more and more about how do you you know, use the art of storytelling to really aid in your negotiations. And and one of the things that I've come up with is that, in particular, when you're dealing with somebody who's very difficult or challenging, I'm beginning to find that when I say to that person, can I just share a story with you? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something very disarming about that. And somebody who's been very defensive, who's gotten their back up, all of a sudden, it's almost as if they're transported back to their childhood, sitting on their grandparents' knee, and their grandparent is telling them a story. It, it has a way of shifting um, people's focus and attention. And what's great about stories is that not only do they typically have a... They're, they're, stories are something that are remembered much easier because uh, just if you look at the evolution of human history, um, every culture, every people tell stories as part of their history. And so we can all relate to that. Uh, and in fact, there was a study done by a professor at Stanford that said we re- remember stories 22 more times than a theory or a concept. Now, how they exactly arrived at the notion of 22, I don't know. But if we just take the, the idea that, you know, stories are more memorable and easily recalled, well, that helps us a lot in negotiation because uh, in particular, if you get to a place where you are flustered or, having a challenge, um, instead of trying to think, what do I do now? Think, what story might help me right now in this particular situation? And I find that when I, when I think there, and then I use that to, um, to make a point or to highlight something that I think is important, not only does it buy you a little bit of time to think about where you want to go with things, but your, the story you're telling has a, a lesson and a moral but what's interesting as well is I've also had the other negotiator say, you know, that is an interesting lesson, but here's also what I took from it. So they add their own meaning. Um, and it's almost like with a story, you allow the other negotiator to enter where they are, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and to, so that you're not forcing them to kind of see the world through your eyes, but you're giving them an opening to see it through their own and to join in the conversation um, in that manner. So, so I see it as, um, first of all, something that's very persuasive. Um, you know, a good story 
is something that's really memorable. I mean, just take the closet story, right? Like yeah. that's one that will stick with you. <laughs> right. Um, more so than a concept or a theory or an idea. So first right. of all, I think stories are persuasive. Uh, as I said, I think they're also a, a nice way of disarming somebody who uh, might be coming into the negotiation and seeing you as an adversary or, or you know, or a problem. Um, and then again, I, I think they also show a way forward, you know, um, in one of my more recent negotiations, I was struggling to figure out where to go with somebody. And there was another negotiation that I had engaged in that, that felt and looked pretty similar. And we reached a successful conclusion there. So I shared the story of that example. And that had the effect of helping them to envision where we might go. And prior to that, they were resistant and they couldn't really see how we could get somewhere. And by the end of it, they said, oh, so could we do something similar here? And I said, I think we can. You know, there's some modification, you know, based on our situation, et cetera. But generally, I think so. And that, again, sort of created, almost like in their mind, it created a, um, this is what a solution could look like. Can you get on board with that? So I think there are a number of different ways in which stories really uh, aid us as negotiators. And I think they also speak to people. You know, there are obviously different learning styles out there. Um, but I think there's a, some kind of a universality to stories um, in a way that um, people can sort of relate to no matter how they tend to like to take in information. Exactly. And you really connect. And when you connect with someone, they want to work with you to problem solve. So I think that's Mm -hmm. another thing. And the other thing about stories that besides just connecting is that we can relate better. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like what you were saying, if you just talk theory, then people really don't understand. I know that it, it, it becomes real. And they also pay attention. It's so hard to pay attention when someone's just talking theory. <laughs> but when they tell a story, it's like, oh, I can, oh, I get it. And I think right. emotionally they get involved. Like that story just made me laugh before I called you. I was yeah. hysterical. And I thought, you know, I was looking through all the stories that you have in the book, and that one caught my eye. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, my God, you know, it, when I'm emotionally involved, I am going to remember it more. And it did have meaning for me about, you know, about just taking your time and, and don't just rush off and, and just mm-hmm. get mad and cl- try to close the door on something because uh, that, that doesn't do anything for you. So anyway, yeah, stories right. are great. I wanted to yeah. ask you just to, we don't, we don't have a lot of time actually, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, in your tech talk, uh, you mm-hmm. talk about the you know how we use technology especially around the campus these people use you know technology all the time and so do i you know yeah we're constantly on our on our smartphones so um can you just talk a little bit about negotiation using technology sure well i think a lot of people feel like technology is inferior to -to face-to-face negotiations i hear that a lot from people and yet you know, in a, in a world of COVID, like we're living now or, or whatever it might be, you know, technology has enabled business to continue. And I think that instead, from my point of view, the way that I look at this is I say, you know, let's 
think about using technology. Let's think about the limitations of the different mediums, whether it's video conferencing, telephone, email, texting, whatever, and be conscious of those. I think that's the biggest thing. With email, you know, you miss context clues. So how can you add in context clues? How can you try to help the other person to um, understand your meaning? And so I think when you go into negotiations with that kind of way of thinking, understanding the pros and cons of each medium, you can use it very effectively. And honestly, there are a lot of people who find negotiation in general very anxiety-producing. And so a, a vehicle like email that is asynchronous and gives you time to think and you know doesn't put you in a situation where you're sitting across from somebody who's really angry and yelling at you and in order to, to make that go away, you know, you just give up whatever, you know, you think um, and then you kick yourself later, right? When you're using email, you don't experience those dynamics. Um, it's just different. And so it gives you an opportunity to be more thoughtful, to manage your own emotions and things like that. So I think that there's a real benefit. Um, and, and I think the key is to understand what are the pros and cons of this medium and how do I remind myself uh, you know about it, and in fact, in the in the TED talk, I, I, you know, I, I use an example that I think is very powerful, which is that the the police ended up getting involved in a chase and were trying to um, apprehend someone, and they couldn't get them on the phone. And then the the person that was fleeing from them started texting the officer, uh, <laughs> and and they actually ended up resolving the situation and, and apprehending him um, because of an text. emoji. <laughs> That was right. so great. It changed the dynamic, right? That softened it and gave them enough sense that if I give up here, it might be better than trying to flee and resisting arrest and all of those other things. So, so I think it's just, it really is being smart about the medium you're using and, and, and recognizing that different mediums have different constraints. Um, but, but I don't think you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, we really can't. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are out of time. So I want people to go to that TED Talk, uh, The Wired Negotiator. You can see it on, you know, TED, what is it, the TED.com, or go, I usually just find it by going on uh, YouTube and looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's actually up on my website as well, but they can find, but folks can find it on YouTube as well. Okay, so give your website and it's time to go. Yep, it's uh, www.com. JoshuaNWeiss.com. And Weiss is spelled W-E-I-S-S. Josh, you're wonderful. It was so great to have you, and we will we will talk again soon. Thank you. Okay. All righty. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. On the web, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You gotta fight both night and day. Doesn't matter what some people may say. Don't be the lamb's cry, be the lion's roar. Cause love is worth fighting for. I know, yeah, love is worth fighting for. Love is worth fighting for. Frank, host 
of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. And I'm here to give you some tips from the Orange County Sheriff's Department on how to avoid a tech support scam. So we've seen a lot of those with Microsoft. First of all, Microsoft does not make unsolicited phone calls. And once you give them control of your computer, they are free to obtain any information on it as well as place malicious software on it. So most merchants only need your name, credit card, billing address to process a credit transaction. So some may need the three-digit security code on the back of the card, but it's a good idea never to give that information unless you initiate the call to the number that you know. The merchants don't need your birth date and your social security number, and especially if they're saying that they have to take over your computer for some kind of problem, don't believe it. What you can do to combat the scam is don't call them back or hang up if you are talking to them. If they text you, just ignore the text and call Microsoft directly or visit their scam website at microsoft.com and then look at for scam. Also report the scam to the Federal Trade Commission. You can go to www.consumer.ftc.gov and go to scams as well. You can report the scam to the Orange County Sheriff's Department by calling 714-647-7000. That's 714-647-7000. Don't get caught in the scam. 